Hello, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. Hello, how are you doing? I am still in law school, so that's an accomplishment. (laughs) I haven't dropped out, not planning on it, but you never know. I really don't have anything to talk about before we get started. I I was kind of looking for scandals before recording this episode, and I said last time that I record these about a week before they actually are published, so there's nothing really going on right now that's like brand new or breaking at the time of this recording but i'm sure after i stop recording i'll look something up and something exciting will happen because that's usually what happens since i don't really have a lot to say i think we are just gonna get started because you clicked on this episode you already know what it's gonna be about but this is viox the pharmaceutical scandal that killed This scandal blew my mind, and it's frustrating because of the real-world impact that it had on people, and the fact that it harmed so many people. This story centers around Merck, and Merck is a pharmaceutical company that has been around for about 130 years. Their website says, quote, We aspire to be the premier research-intensive biopharmaceutical company in the world, end quote. And that is from their About Us page on their website. When I went to go look at their culture and values from their website, it says, quote, We share one vision and one mission, to save and improve lives, end quote. So that's a little bit about who Merck is just so you know before we dive into the actual scandal. This scandal starts in the year 1998. So in November of that year, 1998, Merck had asked the FDA for the approval of Vioxx. And just in case you are listening from outside of the United States, the FDA is the Food and Drug Administration, and they are responsible for ensuring that things that people in the United States ingest are safe to a reasonable level. And Vioxx was supposed to be a safer painkiller, and the reason why it was supposed to be safer and more <laughs> more better, bad grammar, but the reason why Vioxx was supposed to be better was it was supposed to cause fewer gastrointestinal problems than other painkillers on the market, so that would have been a huge advantage of Vioxx, and it also would have been a huge advantage to Merck because the the painkiller industry and the pharmaceutical industry is just it's like a hungry child when you give it dessert it's just scooping it in really quickly but instead of the dessert it's money the pharmaceutical and painkiller industry is a ridiculously large financial industry with billions and billions of dollars going through that industry, yeah, it's huge. So having a better painkiller on the market would have been a slam dunk for Merck. So in November of 1998, Merck asked the FDA to approve Vioxx, 
And at this point, Vioxx had been tested on 5,400 subjects in a total of eight or nine studies, depending on the source that you look at. One of my sources is an NPR article by Prakash and Valentine in 2007. And one of my other sources is an article written by Crumholes, Ross, Pressler, and Igelman in 2007. And it is from Clinical Research Ed. Studies that had been done on Vioxx were not designed to evaluate cardiovascular risk, which I, I don't really know how these kinds of studies work, but the way the study was designed, it was just not designed to evaluate cardiovascular risk. And a quote coming from the Crumholes article from 2007, quote, The nine studies were generally small, had short treatment periods, enrolled patients at low risk of cardiovascular disease, and did not have a standardized procedure to collect and adjudicate cardiovascular outcomes, end quote. I guess my question is, if you are going to be introducing a new medicine, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you test to see how it is going to impact the heart, which other than the brain, is the most vital organ in a human body. I think in probably most mammals' bodies, but I just don't know what the thought process was behind that. But for whatever reason, they decided not to see how it impacted cardiovascular health. In January of 1999, this is from that NPR article, Merck launched the Vioxx Gastrointestinal Outcomes Research Study, which was abbreviated to VIGOR, so that's how I'm going to reference it from now on. This study had more than 8,000 participants, and up until that point, it was the largest study done on the drug. And this is how the study worked. Half of the participants in the study, so about 4,000 people, took Vioxx, and the other half took naproxen. The point of the study was to compare to see if Vioxx was safer than naproxen, which was an old painkiller. And the study, while it seemed great, a quote from that Crumholes article, quote, This study was initiated without a standard operating procedure for collecting information on cardiovascular events and without a cardiologist on the data safety monitoring board, end quote. So again, I pose the question, why wasn't cardiovascular health a focus in this study, considering the importance of the heart in the human body? That question kind of remains, but that's that's how the study was set out. In May of 1999, the FDA approved Vioxx, and the drug was only available by prescription, according to that NPR article. So just to recap, the Vigor study started in 1999, and it was a a long-term study, so the results weren't going to be out for a while, but based on the existing information that was available at the time, in May of 1999, the FDA approved Vioxx. So even though it was approved, this vigorous study was still going on. Problems start emerging in October of 1999, so Vigor has been on the market for a couple of months. There was the first meeting of the Data and Safety Monitoring Board, which I will abbreviate as the DSMB from now on, regarding the Vigor study. It was determined that as of October 1st, 1999, patients who were taking Vioxx had less gastrointestinal bleeding and fewer ulcers than patients who were taking naproxen, according to the NPR article. And, you know, those results are great, you know, less 
less gastrointestinal issues, less ulcers. Vioxx is looking pretty good so far. It was looking like this was going to be a slam dunk for Merck. In November of 1999, so just about a month later, the DSMB met again, but this time the focus of their meeting was on the heart problems that were starting to emerge from Vioxx. As of November 1st, 1999, 79 patients had either serious heart problems or had died from heart problems, and that was compared to 41 patients who were taking naproxen. So again, there were about 4,000 people in each group. So 79 of the 4,000 people either were having serious heart problems or had died, and that was compared to 41 patients taking naproxen. So already, at this point in the study, it's appearing that people who are taking Vioxx have almost double the amount of risk for heart problems or death due to heart problems than the people who are taking naproxen. Also, according to the NPR article, minutes from the meeting said in part, quote, while the trends are disconcerting, the numbers of the events are small, end quote. I'm not going to lie, I had to look up what the word disconcerting means, and the definition that pops up is causing one to feel unsettled. So essentially the minutes were like, hey, these results are kind of concerning, but the number of times that this is happening is small, so the study is going to continue. In December of 1999, so another month later, the safety panel held its last meeting of 1999. Not the last meeting ever, just the last meeting of 1999. At that point, they discussed that the risk of serious heart problems and death by patients taking Vioxx in the study was twice as high as the group taking naproxen, and that's from that NPR article. So already two, three months into this safety board meeting, they're like, yep, Vioxx has double the amount of heart problems in comparison to naproxen. But according to that same NPR article, the DSMB voted to continue the study. It also decides that Merck should develop a plan to study the cardiovascular results before the study ends. And these recommendations were sent to uh, a Merck employee named Alice Ryson, I believe is how you say her name. And again, it's also important to remember, like I said earlier, that there was not a cardiologist on the safety board. And from my research, I couldn't find any information that pointed to a cardiologist being appointed to the board after these heart problems became apparent. So again, I pose the question, why are we not having someone who is an expert in heart health on the safety board when heart problems are emerging? The safety board while it wasn't looking good for Vioxx, one reason the panel brought up that it voted to continue the study was that they couldn't tell if Vioxx was causing the heart problems or if naproxen protected people from the heart problems, which in turn made Vioxx look more risky because Vioxx wasn't designed to protect people from the heart problems. So I guess taking that into consideration, I could understand why the study was voted to go on. Maybe? That's, that's a big maybe. <laughs> So the board sends off these recommendations, and in January of 2000, so just a month later, basically Merck doesn't really do anything with these recommendations. Merck wanted to 
combine the cardiovascular results of the VIGOR study with results from other Vioxx studies, and I couldn't really find a good explanation as of why. I think it was maybe to get a bigger scope of what was going on, but that in turn was going to cause an analysis to be delayed. And then on the flip side, there were people on the safety panel who wanted to do an immediate analysis of the cardiovascular information, such as someone named Weinblatt. And Weinblatt was the safety panel chair and was a rheumatologist with Brigham and Women's Hospital, according to that NPR article. And from a New York Times article published by Harris in 2004, Merck's top lawyer later says about this that the decision wasn't driven by marketing concerns, but rather that the study would have taken years to produce results and answers wouldn't have been provided quickly. So I think that was Merck's uh, uh, Merck's reasoning for wanting to combine the Vigor results with other studies that had been done, but there were calls from the safety board to do an immediate analysis of the results. In February of 2000, it was decided that the heart problems would be analyzed, which finally, <laughs> yes, please analyze the heart results. However, it would only be the heart results or the heart problems reported by February 10th of 2000, according to that NPR article. And the reason why this is significant is gastrointestinal events would be monitored for one month longer, according to that Crumholes article. Why this matters is if heart problems continued for that one extra month while stomach things were being observed, they would not be added to the reports in the initial analysis. So essentially what's happening is they are going to take one more month of data for stomach issues and stomach things and all things related to gastrointestinal gastrointestinal stuff. That word is really hard to say. But they're going to exclude any other heart things that come up in that one month. We're going to talk about why that's a problem later, but I think you can figure out on your own why that's a problem. On February 7th of 2000, according to the NPR article, quote, Weinblatt fills out a financial disclosure form that says he and his wife own $72,975 of Merck stock, end quote. And you may be asking yourself, why does this matter? Who cares if Weinblatt owns stocks? According to that Crumholes article, it's important because according to Merck's policies at the time, quote, the board is supposed to be independent without financial or emotional stake in the trial being monitored, end quote. So it's a problem because someone on the safety board has financial stock in the company and the company will make a lot of money if this drug can be on the market and it becomes a success. That is like saying, I realized that my apples that I'm going to sell at market have worms in them but I really need to make money off of those apples, so I'm just not gonna tell anybody, but I know that there are worms in there. That's essentially what was happening. Weinblatt shouldn't have had any financial stock in the company, so that way he could be an unbiased and fair judgment or source of, yeah, just source of judgment on the safety board but since he owned stock, that made him not impartial anymore, which is a huge issue. Because of course he's going to want this drug to succeed, because he's going to make money if the company's stock goes up. 
And going along with that issue, on February 15th, 2000, according to that NPR article, Weinblatt got a new consulting contract with Merck. The new contract involved 12 days of work over two years, and he would be paid $5,000 per day. Weinblatt was going to be paid $5,000 for 12 days of work over two years. That is $60,000 for 12 days of work. So again, I pose the thought, how can we trust someone on the safety board who has such a large financial stake in the company? And I'm not necessarily saying that Weinblatt purposely skewed results because he had financial stakes in the company, but it's important to ask the question, is someone who has this much financial stake in the company really going to be 100% transparent about problems of a drug that they are developing that could potentially make the company billions? I would argue that if I were in his shoes, I would want the financial benefit of that drug succeeding. So I can, I can understand if someone were to have that greed, why they would. Not saying it's right, but I can understand why someone would have that motivation to make the drug succeed on the market. In March of 2000, Merck gets the results of the Vigor trial, and Dr. Alice Ryson, who we brought up earlier, the Merck researcher who ran the Vigor study, so she was pretty influential in this whole study because she ran it, she said that they were stunned by the results and that they were concerned about the heart problems that were showing up. She also said that they did consider that Vioxx could be at fault. <sighs> I, I will believe that she said that. Whether or not how much truth backed that statement, not sure. Also, according to that New York Times article, Merck strongly promoted the Vigor study. They apparently purchased one million reprints of the published Vigor study, and they sent it to doctors and other health professionals across the country. And according to an article titled Vioxx that was published in 2011, in the first four months of 2000, Merck spent $67 million advertising Vioxx, like the drug. And just, just in case I didn't make it clear, in March of 2000, the results of the study were like done. So the Vigor study was done at that point. And in May of 2000, Merck submitted the Vigor paper to the New England Journal of Medicine. Pretty influential <laughs> medicine journal going on there. If you remember from earlier, we talked about how there was that one month window where they were observing stomach issues, but they weren't observing or recording the heart attack or heart issues. So when they submitted the data to the New England Journal of Medicine, it included data of 17 heart attacks. But in that month, there were three additional heart attacks that had happened. So heart attacks 18, 19, and 20 that weren't reported in that data. What happened was the New England Journal of Medicine got incomplete data not showing all of the heart attacks that happened in the study. 
On July 5th of 2000, a memo was sent to Merck scientist Alice Ryson, so again, she's coming back into this, referring to heart attacks 18, 19, and 20 from the Vigor study. And then on October 13th of 2000, Merck told the FDA about the three additional heart attacks. However, on November 23rd, when the results were published in the New England Journal of Medicine, there was no mention of the three additional heart attacks. The published data also excluded a lot of other data on kinds of, quote, cardiovascular adverse events, end quote. It's good that Merck disclosed this information to the FDA, but they didn't disclose it to the New England Journal of Medicine, and the New England Journal of Medicine, which is a hugely influential journal, published incomplete data that misrepresented how Vioxx impacted people who took it. And at that point, even though the data was submitted to the FDA, it wasn't accessible to the public, so there was really no way the New England Journal of Medicine would have known about this. So they unintentionally essentially published false medical information that is going to have a ridiculous impact on people. In February of 2001, the FDA started to hold meetings about the Vigor trials and the information, and then at that point it did publish all of the Vigor data on its website, and that data included the three additional heart attacks and then the other data relating to cardiovascular events, and that's according to the NPR article. From that same article, on August 22, 2001, a group of cardiologists published an article in the Journal of American Medicine Association based on the complete data that was available through the FDA. So it's good. Studies are starting to be published with the complete data, but at that point, the New England Journal of Medicine's paper had been published for over half of a year and had been far-reaching, so it's good that this information is coming out, but false information had been circulating the medical community for months, and that's not necessarily the fault of New England Journal of Medicine because they weren't given all the complete information, and Merck knew that and in my opinion had a responsibility to tell the New England Journal of Medicine, but they didn't. So if you'll recall from earlier, there was a hypothesis that maybe Vioxx wasn't causing the heart issues, but rather naproxen was protecting the heart. Well, the study that was published on August 22nd, 2001, basically just shuts that down. They're like, nope, naproxen really isn't doing anything like that, so that's not a reasonable claim that's going on here. According to that 2004 New York Times article, one of the authors of the study, Dr. Topol, I believe is how you say his name. Dr. Topol was a harsh critic of the drug even before the publishing of that study in 2001. He even said that Merck scientists came to Cleveland where he was operating to visit him and to persuade him not to publish the article. Even though he said that Merck officials denied doing so, who knows if that really happened, but that kind of seems like a weird thing to lie about. I'm personally gonna believe Dr. Topol's statements. You can believe what you want to believe. Over the next two years, so from about January 2002 until August 2004, quote, numerous epidemiological studies point to Vioxx's increased risk of cardiovascular problems, end quote. So basically more and more studies are coming out that are like, hey, there's a lot of heart problems with this drug. What's going on here? In September of 2004, Merck finally takes Vioxx off of the market. And you may be asking yourself what motivated them to do that decision. 
Well, there was a study called Approve that showed that, quote, the drug raised the risk of heart attacks after 18 months, end quote. And that quote comes from the NPR article. And also around the same time, research that was published estimated that a total of 88 thousand Americans had heart attacks because of Vioxx, and an estimated 38,000 of them had died. I'm going to say that again. 38,000 people had died from Vioxx, and that was an estimate, and I saw numbers all over the place. I saw them starting at 38,000, going up until 55,000 people who had died, and these were estimates based off of the study. So... I don't, I couldn't really find a solid count of like, here are the names of all the people who have died from Vioxx. There are definitely cases that I read about where, yes, this, you know, this person's name was Bob and he took Vioxx and died. There were a lot of cases like that, but I couldn't really find anywhere that was like, we have a for sure count of how many people died. But it was estimated that between 38,000 and 55,000 people had died from this. On July 14, 2005, according to that NPR article, the editor-in-chief of the New England Journal of Medicine said that the journal was, quote, hoodwinked by not getting all of the data about the Vigor study before it was published. And if you'll remember, Merck didn't send all of the heart attack information to the New England Journal of Medicine, which caused them to publish the article with essentially false medical information. In August of 2005, at that point, about 13,000 lawsuits had been filed against Merck. A Texas state jury returned a verdict against Merck. So already things in court were not looking good for Merck because a Texas state jury was like, hey Merck, this verdict is not in your favor, sorry homie. According to that NPR article in 2005 in November, the New England Journal of Medicine executive director, Dr. Gregory Kergman, is disposed, which means he was called to testify. And at this point, he learns that the Vigor authors knew about the additional three heart attacks before the story was published. So even though we knew that, the New England Journal of Medicine had no way of knowing that, but it was during this deposition that Dr. Gregory Kergman found out that Yes, Merck knew about these additional heart attacks, and they didn't let us know. And how he learned about this was in the deposition, the memo from earlier, July 2000, and that was the memo that talked about the additional heart attacks. That was brought up in the deposition. So Dr. Gregory Kirkman was like, hold up, what was that? And it basically just confirmed that Merck knew what was going on the whole time. In December of 2005, the New England Journal of Medicine issues a, quote, expression of concern, end quote. They're basically like, you know what? Uh, you gave us false data, so give us some new data, please. The direct quote is, they write that inaccuracies and deletions in the Vigor manuscript submitted by Merck calls into question the integrity of the data, end quote. And so they wanted a correction submitted. In March of 2006, the authors of the Vigor study responded with the following quote, and this comes from that NPR article. Quote, Our evaluations lead us to conclude that our original article followed appropriate clinical trial principles and does not require a correction. End quote. They said that they submitted all of the data that happened before the cutoff date. If you remember, that cutoff date was a month short of when the stomach issue cutoff date was. You know, they set this cutoff date, but it 
it it excluded extra heart condition information. So of course it was within the cutoff date, but you chose a cutoff date that was going to exclude information. And the New England Journal of Medicine even said that the cutoff date, quote, skewed results, end quote. So the New England Journal of Medicine is seeing right through this. They're like, yeah, okay, technically you did submit things before the cutoff date of your study, but your cutoff date skewed your results. <laughs> Ugh, it's frustrating. In May of 2006, an outside analysis of the data was sent to the FDA. And remember, at this point, the complete data is now available. And that analysis shows that the risk for an increase of cardiovascular events begins shortly after taking Vioxx. And it also says that the impacts remain long after patients stop taking Vioxx. And this is huge, because according to that NPR article, up until this point, the data pointed only to heart issues being caused after 18 months of taking Vioxx. According to the NPR article, Merck disagreed and maintained that people weren't at higher risk until after 18 months of taking the drugs. And the reason why this is such a big deal is many of the people that were suing Merck at the time said that they had taken the drug for less than 18 months. So now that this data is out there, that the heart issues start before 18 months, and that's where a majority of the suits are, Merck is now potentially liable in all of those suits because of this new uh, analysis of the data. In June 2006, the seventh case against Merck begins, and the reason why this is significant is because this is the first trial that happens after the analysis of the data was published, where it was saying that the impacts started less than 18 months after taking Vioxx. And in this case, the plaintiff was Elaine, who was a 68-year-old. She alleged that Vioxx caused her to have a heart attack and a necessary double heart bypass surgery. You read these stories and they're heartbreaking because these are real people who were impacted by this decision to exclude data. According to that Crumholes article, between 1999 and 2004, nearly 107 million prescriptions of Vioxx were dispensed. So again, it's not like this was a small little thing. 107 million prescriptions were handed out. Also, according to that Crumholes article, there was some heat brought onto the FDA about this whole situation. People were wondering why the FDA continued to allow Merck to sell Vioxx as data kept mounting, saying that there was these heart issues that were coming up. There were also apparently rumors that even before the drug was approved, it could cause heart problems. However, one of the leaders at the FDA at the time said that at the time it was approved, there was no data that showed heart problems, so there was no scientific reason for concern. So that was that. And in November of 2007, Merck announced that it would pay $4.85 billion to end thousands of lawsuits, and this was going to be paid into a settlement fund, according to that NPR article. However, <laughs> Merck was sure to announce that even though they were establishing the settlement fund, they were not admitting fault. I'm going to say that again. Merck was like, hey homies, sorry a bunch of people had heart problems and died. Here's a bunch of money to end all these lawsuits, but we're not, we're not at fault here for this. <laughs> what? If you're not at fault, then, then why are you putting all this money in a settlement suit? Or I guess, why are you going to say you're not at fault if you're going to establish this settlement suit. I feel like establishing the settlement suit 
says that you're wrong (laughs) by your actions. In 2011, Merck agreed to pay $950 million and pled guilty to a criminal charge over the marketing and sales of Vioxx. And this comes from another New York Times article published in 2011 by Wilson. And this is separate from the settlement fund. So the settlement fund is $4.85 billion, and that happened in 2007. And then now in 2011, this $950 million fine and plead of guilty to a criminal charge is four years after that settlement fund. And how it broke down was $321 million of the fine was because Merck promoted Vioxx to treat rheumatoid arthritis before the FDA approved it for that purpose. So basically false advertising. So that was $321 million for that reason. $426 million was also to go to the federal government. And then $202 million was to go to state Medicaid agencies. So just to recap, an estimated 38,000 to 55,000 people died. A $4.85 billion settlement fund was established to end thousands of lawsuits where people's lives were altered or ended. And then in 2011, Merck agreed to pay $950 million and pled guilty to a criminal charge over the marketing and sales of Vioxx. And that wraps up Vioxx, the pharmaceutical scandal that killed. I hope you enjoyed this I say with a question mark because it's pretty frustrating and honestly pretty horrible because a lot of people were impacted by this. Uh, I guess my closing thoughts are I'm I'm just frustrated with this. But yes, that concludes this scandal. If you would like to keep up with the latest, stay in touch on social media. I'm going to post pictures relating to this case on Instagram at Scandal101Podcast on Twitter at Scandal101Pod, on Facebook, Scandal101Podcast. Our website is Scandal101Podcast.podbean.com, where you can find all the episodes. There's a link tree that links out to everywhere you can listen, and you can also find the show notes on there. And then if you have a scandal that you would like me to look into, please email it to Scandal101Podcast at gmail.com. Again, I just want to thank you so much for listening, and this has been episode 15 of Scandal 101.